It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So we've been going over in Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 2, even though it says chapter 3, it's chapter 2. We're learning what it means to be God's workmanship, to be his masterpiece, meaning God has formed us for something. That's what we learned last week in our teaching, that if you are a believer in Christ here today, God has made you for a purpose. Even if you're not a believer, God has still formed you for a reason. You're created by God. You didn't make yourself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't bring yourself into existence. Someone else did. And he did it for a reason. Now, if you try to find re- reason and meaning in yourself, by yourself, you're never going to find your most effective use. It's only by seeking the one who made you are you going to really find its me- it's your true meaning. It's just like when you're asked by the teacher, you know, you're reading something stupid like uh, The Catcher in the Rye. And I'm sorry if you like that book, but I just thought it was terrible. You're reading the book and you're like, what the heck does this mean? It's like, well, the symbolism here is, and you're like, how, how is anyone supposed to know that? No one can know that apart from the person who wrote it. And that's the exact same thing that I'm trying to bring to you guys in, in that lesson is that you are made for something. It's only by asking your creator that you really find your true meaning, your true purpose, and you find true meaning happiness. Along with that, we have to understand that we are the elect of God, which means we are chosen by God. It isn't just that he made you, but he actually chose you. He wants to use you for a specific purpose. He didn't just randomly, arbitrarily say, yeah, I think he'd be good as a fisherman. No one wants to be a fisherman these days. It's very sad for Peter, but for you, not so sad. So God chooses you for something. It's not some random choosing, but he actually purposes it because he has this master plan that if only we would would follow in that plan, although he doesn't need us to follow in that plan, if we do, we're going to find ultimate joy. It's also important to remember that we are holy and beloved, which means you are complete in Christ. That's what we learned two weeks ago. You don't need the world to complete you with its meaning. You don't need to go find true value in something else or someone else, but God gives you all the meaning and value that you could possibly need. So as Christians, you can say, there's a lot of things that I would like, but I don't need anything. You can say, you know, today I think we kind of mistake the notions between need and things that you want. You say like, I need a cookie instead of you want a cookie. Or I need a job instead of uh, I'd like a job. Some of you need a job because you're lazy. Some of you say, I need a relationship. I need a girlfriend or a boyfriend instead of I, I want it. And you have to ask, who do you expect to give you those things? Some of you are relying on your parents to give you certain things. Like you expect your mom to be the one that cleans your room. Your mom gives you the cookies, makes you the food, does your laundry, gets you a girlfriend. Your mom can't do that. It'd be really awkward if she did all those things for you. But you have to rely on some person for some things at some time. And when we rely on the one who gives us ultimate meaning, that is God, we don't have to need anything else because he supplies all of our needs. So that brings us to the big question today. What about dating? I know the topic that no one wants to hear And at the same time, all of you want to hear, which is awkward. But this is if you decide to kick me out after today, I'm fine with that. But just for today, we're going to go a little uh, offshoot on to talk about dating today. Now, I have to qualify this a little bit. There are two extremes when we talk about this that people, especially in church, talk about. One extreme is you must never date. Dating is evil. Dating is from Satan. Don't date until you're married. That's one extreme. The other one is, oh, yeah, date whoever you want. You know, hook up with whoever you want. And that's also really awkward. Don't do that. 
I'm saying today there's a potential middle ground, but we have to ask ourselves the hard questions today. Now, I have a lot of stories I could give you, and I'm just not sure which ones I want to share because you might just think I'm a big dork afterwards. But um, you might be looking at me and saying, Alan, how can you teach about dating when it's a subject you, you know nothing about? Touche. <laughs> but C.S. Lewis once wrote in Mere Christianity how when he wrote on marriage and people were like, you're not married, you can't talk about marriage. He was like, yeah, but sometimes being on the outside, you have a clearer view from the outside. So you can take what I'm saying and you can check it in, against God's word and your own rationality and see if it works or not. I won't hurt you if you disagree with me, but let's, let's just go with it. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. First of all, what is dating? You don't have to answer it because probably can't answer it. But what does it mean to date? When people are in a relationship, does it just mean you like you change your status on Facebook and they're officially dating? That's what it means to date? If so, if Facebook's gone and you have like no way of qualifying your relationship, what are we? No Facebook. Well, according to the dictionary, dating is a social appointment, engagement, or occasion arranged beforehand with another person. And the other word I heard, which I hate, is courting. I think it's only a Christian word. It's the worst word ever, courting. So I looked that up too, and this is what it says in the dictionary. To seek the affections of or to woo. (laughs) It just like makes you want to go like eat a steak or do something manly or something. I can't even read this. And it says, the second definition was of animals to attempt to attract a mate by engaging in certain species-specific behaviors. So I guess, I guess animals are more into courting than humans. But I guess with that, the real question I want to ask is, are you like a peacock? Do you have a mating call? If so, you might be dating. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, that's not what I'm saying. Although I do think some people have some signals. Like my brother, when he, when my brother liked a girl and he was in in junior high, he would do this little dance, like this little sway. He'd like be talking to this girl and be going like this back and forth. You're like, oh, Daniel's in love. But then when he was actually in a relationship, it was like the funniest thing ever. I shouldn't talk about this at all. I can't help it. Some people, you know, you'll be on the receiving end where you're in this relationship and one person's putting in all the effort and the other person isn't putting in any effort. I think dating is just this obscure thing where you're not really sure if you're in a relationship or not sometimes. There's this girl that was dating my brother and as she was dating him, she texted me one day and complained and she's like, Alan, I can't stand your brother. I was like, why? What happened? And she's like, Well, anytime I text him, I love you, he either says okay or LOL. (laughs) If you knew my brother, it'd be that much better. I'd just say, yes. So anyway, I think for a number of reasons, many Christians especially are afraid of the term dating. So you have this unofficial Christian sense of togetherness where you're not really dating, but you're talking on the phone or you're texting or the the person you see at church or at school and you talk to them all the time. And the problem is you'll still be emotionally involved because you're always with that person, but you're just not dating because you don't have that official title. So here's the news flash for you today. I think if there's any commitment that's tying you down to that person, it might be dating or our social recognition of what dating could be. If you have to ask yourself saying, do I get jealous if this person is with another guy or another girl? And the answer is yes, you're probably dating that person. Now, I'm not saying that's a blanket statement because obviously um, you can imagine a world where you're jealous of someone like your music teacher is spending more time with a different student and you're jealous. That doesn't mean you're dating your music teacher. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're appealing to some previous mutual commitment. When you get jealous or you see that person moving on, talking to a girl or a guy, and 
they're spending more time with that person rather than you. You're appealing to some mutual commitment that you thought that you had between you, some bond that you had between both of you. So it doesn't have to be dating necessarily, but you have to ask, what is tying me down to this person? So the problem, I think, is a lot of Christians will refuse the title dating. And if you're not a Christian here today, this is probably just really news to you and you've never heard this before, but I'm sorry. But I have to address this, so. A lot of Christians will reject the title dating, but then, that might be all well and good, but you wind up with the pain of a broken relationship and the unexpected confusion of mixed signals. Because all of a sudden the relationship ends and you're like, well, why am I feeling this way? Because we aren't really dating, but I feel really bad. And you still have that pain of the broken relationship. You start asking, why is he ignoring me? Why is she ignoring me all of a sudden? Why don't you talk to me as much as you used to? But if you're not dating, then why should you get up? Why should you get hung up at all? Because if there's no real commitment, you shouldn't really be tied down to that person in the first place. So I think you don't really have to physically go on dates in order to be dating. Because you can think of a long distance relationship where two people are dating, but they're not officially going out. They're not meeting once a week to fly out and visit each other. So here's my definition of dating. If you want to jot this down, you can disagree with it, but this is what I think. My definition of dating is the process of mutual investment between persons with the intention of pursuing deeper intimacy. Now, if you didn't understand anything I, I just said, that's fine. I did that on purpose. I don't want you to understand dating. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'll repeat it. The process of mutual investment between persons with the intention of deeper intimacy. Which means... If you're a guy here, don't play that flirting game. I know a lot of what guys like to do is they like to text girls randomly. Because I'm a guy, I know what that's like. Text girls every now and then, see how they're doing. You like to flirt a little bit. When you're in person, you like to, you know, give affirmation. You like to hug a little bit longer than other people. And you like to play that flirting game, but we're not dating. I don't have any feelings. I don't have any affections. But you're in it now. And that's what I'm trying to say is that you have to man up to your decisions, your emotions. You can't just say, well, I'm not really dating, so there's nothing that should be tying me down to this person because you're playing with someone else's emotions. And 1 Timothy 5.2 says, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So if you wouldn't mess with your own sister's emotions, then you shouldn't mess with your, your sister in Christ's emotions either. And that should be convicting for a lot of you guys because some of you feel like it's okay to talk in a certain way and treat girls in a certain way. And what you're doing is you're hurting them and you're setting them up for failure with the next guy that they date, the next guy that they're looking to. And that's not loving. And as Christians, we're to be different. And you're setting an example for the world. And if the world looks in like, oh, well, Christian relationships are just as messed up, 50% of all divorce uh, all divorce, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, ends in divorce or marriage ends in divorce. That's what I'm trying to say. We're setting that example. If it looks just the same, I think there's something wrong with that. So here's, that's my definition of dating. What is dating for? Dating is not a concept that is addressed in the Bible. So I can't give you, uh, this is exactly what the Bible says about dating or not. I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I think that's the problem is, and that, it's kind of weird that I'm saying it's not a big deal. I'm teaching a message on it. But some cultures, you know, they had arranged marriages. They don't worry about dating because you just, it's from the moment you're born, you're supposed to marry this person and that's the end of the story. But I think because we live in a society where we have so many choices, now we have this list and she has to look this way and has to talk this way. And if she doesn't fit this criteria, then I'm not going to even consider her or him. And we have... We're making things difficult for ourselves because we're setting us, ourselves up for failure, I think. But the Bible sees two types of people, those that are single and those that are married. So marriage is the commitment that you make to love another person between you and God. That's what marriage is. You're making that commitment before the Lord. And dating is the testing ground to say, do I want to marry this person? Because if you're a Christian, your dating relationship should go towards marriage. 
Because marriage is where you experience the blessings of God. In dating, you don't have any rights. You don't have any uh, abilities. For the Christian, the purpose of dating must have marriage in mind. And I'm not saying that in a creepy way. Like you ask a girl out and like, will you go out with me? Yes. Will you marry me? And they're like, no. Well, I can't date you then. It would just be really creepy and no one would go out with you. So here's the question. Well, why, why do I have to go towards marriage? Why can't I just date for fun? Well, this is what I would say to you. And this it doesn't even go towards a Christian audience. This goes to a non-Christian audience as well. I think it's impossible to commit yourself to something without investing yourself in it as well. It's impossible to commit yourself to doing something without investing yourself in it as well. And that doesn't just have to be relationships, although I think relationships is a big commitment, but with anything. I know in my own life, one of my biggest hobbies was photography. I love to do photography. I like to take pictures. I took pictures of my friends. Little did I know that the more money I put into it, the more time I spent taking photos, the more people started saying, wow, you're getting pretty good at that. Do you want to take pictures of my wedding? Why are you doing really well with that? Can I pay you to do this for that? And I always said photography will not be a job for me. You know, I just want to do it for fun. But the more time I spent doing it, the more that it took a chunk out of my life. And I said, well, what does this mean to me? You can't commit a lot of your time, a lot of your energy without questioning what does this do for me as a person. You can't spend a lot of time in a relationship going out three times a week, talking on the phone for two hours or more without questioning what purpose does this play in my life. So I think it's impossible to be in a relationship without someone getting hurt if you broke up. It may not, it may not be you. It might be that other person. But I think it's impossible to be in that relationship without someone getting hurt if you broke up. Song of Solomon 8.4 says, Do not stir up or, nor awaken love until it pleases. And if you're just stirring up these emotions, these feelings, all this stuff inside of you, before you can actually engage in marriage, then you're doing something that is anti-biblical. Because you're stirring up all these emotions and you can't do anything with it. You're like, well, what the heck do I do with this? What do I do with these feelings? Because when you're in a sinful relationship, sin will always want more. It's never enough just to make out. It's never enough just to have sex. You have to go from one person to the next person. It's not enough to cheat on one person. You have to cheat on three people because sin always wants more of you because it will never be enough. And the lies of this world tell you that you need something else. But if you are complete in Christ, he is the one who completes you. You say, well, I don't need anything. And I think that's the most desirable person, the person that doesn't need anyone, the person who is self-sufficient, not the person that says, I need someone to complete me. I think that's just emo and I think it's lame. I've heard the analogy saying that any, you are like an apple. And when you give yourself away, have you heard this analogy? You give yourself away, someone takes a bite out of that apple, then another person takes a bite of that apple before you just let, and before you know it, you're left with a core of yourself. And who wants this core? I don't think that anyone's like, if you're in a lot of relationships, I don't think anyone's gonna be like, ugh, you. Who wants to be with you? I don't think it's necessarily like that, but analogy is a good one in that every time you get in a relationship, you're giving a little bit of yourself away. If you don't really care about that relationship, then maybe not so much of yourself, maybe not a big chunk of yourself, although you might be taking a huge chunk out of the other person. And you have to ask yourself the question, who's being a jerk? The person who's not affected at all and just like end a relationship, move on to the next one, or the person who cares? One of the most important questions I think that you can ask yourself before you date someone is, why can't you just be friends? I think this is the question that everyone has to ask themselves. And my youth pastor asked me this once upon a time. He says, you want to date someone? Why can't you just be friends? You know what my answer was? You can't make out with your friends. So that's kind of weird. What are you going to do? So, I mean, that's what I thought as a high schooler. But you have to come up with a good reason, not a reason like that. Why can't you just be friends with that person? C.S. Lewis described friendship as two people walking side by side toward a common goal. So what do you need more from a relationship in order to be more than just friends? Now, I have an answer that I've arrived to. 
But I don't think there's any one answer that people arrive to that they're saying this is the objective answer. I think it's a subjective thing. And I can kind of share with you a little bit of what I think and my philosophy. But you have to answer that question for yourself because if it's anything more than um, just friends, then you have to ask yourself, what is the criteria that goes into a relationship? And if it's anything just like the physical, then you're obviously on a rocky start and rocky ground. So this kind of begs the question though, can women and men just be friends? I, I don't know if any of you have seen this video, but this guy on college campus goes around and I was going to show you, but I, I didn't feel like it anymore. So he goes around on a college campus and he asks people, can men and women be just friends? And then he asks all the girls and all the girls are like, yeah, totally. Yeah, all my, I have a lot of guy friends. Ask all the guys, no, no way. Like all the guys say no. It's really funny. I think it's kind of twisted in a certain way, but it proves a really good point. In the world, you see very rarely do guys think that they can have friends or that are girls that they don't have a romantic interest in. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I, I think it's very probable that if you have a friend that's a guy, he might like you. First Timothy 5.2, though, says, Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat women uh, younger than you with all purity as you would your own sister. So obviously the Bible thinks that we can treat people as just friends and be okay with that. I have plenty of friends that are girls that I don't have any interest in. I think it's possible, but in the world, I think you almost have to be skeptical and say, well, what are the reasons why they would just be friends with me? Hmm. Because in the Bible, you're held to purity, but in the world, maybe not so much. Moving on. So here's some bad reasons to date. Number one, we're in love. Number one bad reason to date is just because you're in love. I, I hear this, you know, this is probably the number one reason why people want to date is because you like each other. But if that's your only, it's not a bad reason, but if it's your only reason just because you like each other, they have to ask, what does it mean to like each other? Like a bunch of you high school kids, when I was talking to some girl recently that I'm not going to mention ever again in my entire life after this sermon, he asked me, well, do you like her? I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean to like somebody? Does it mean that you're just attracted to? Because I understand that. But when you like, person, when you like a person, all of a sudden we, we have this entitlement like if you like somebody, then you have to act on those feelings. You can't just like someone and not do anything about it. So someone asks you, well, who do you like? Well, I don't like anyone. No, you have to like someone. Like, what if I don't want to like anyone? Well, are you gay? <laughs> That's the way it goes. You guys are terrible, I'm saying. Well, a, a lot of the, today's philosophy is just follow your heart. But the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? So just because you have feelings, it doesn't mean that you have to act on those feelings. Have, have any of you in your Christian life prayed for God to take away feelings for a person if it wasn't his will? Don't raise your hand. No, you've all done it. Lord, if this isn't your will, I pray that you would take my feelings away. Just show me, Lord. And then the feelings remain. And you're like, well, the Lord approves. <laughs> so then you go through with this relationship and then it ends and, you know, you get rejected really bad. Like I've, you know, it's happened to me a bunch of times. And you blame God. You're like, God, you didn't take the feelings away. And God's like... Really? Really? You think God just takes away feelings from things that we want to do but we know are wrong? No. If that was the case, he would have taken the fruit away from Eve when she was in the garden. God, if you don't want me to sin, just take the fruit away from me. Just take it out of my hand when I go to eat it. He didn't do that because he expects us to have free will. Which means even when you know you want to do something, you're not going to do it because you know it's wrong. So instead we have to put our feelings under the microscope and ask, does this feeling please the Lord? Is this a good thing? You can be attracted to someone and it not always be a good thing. So, moving right along. I dropped the CD. So I'm not saying that if you act on impulse that your relationship will fail because I think a relationship built on impulse can work. 
but it's just not the greatest foundation if all of your relationships are based on impulse. I like this guy. I don't like him anymore. I like this guy. I don't, I don't like him anymore. Because before you know it, you're just, as soon as the feeling's gone, you're going to kind of drop them just as quick as you pick them up. I think that's kind of the problem of finding the one that everyone's looking for. I just, I'm looking for the one, the one that will complete me, my other half, whatever, all that garbage. We're living in the culture of Christian mingle. We are. You're like, I don't, I know there's no one. And then you see a sign on Facebook, you know, you sign online. It's a sign. The ad for Christian mingle says, are you looking for your completion? I was looking at this ad today for Christian dating. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. It was like the next best thing after salvation is a relationship. (laughs) I was like, really? Can you do that? (laughs) Oh man, it's terrible. Not that I've been on those sites. I really haven't. Only to creep on friends that I know that are on those sites. They're awkward. So here's a second bad reason to date. I'm dating this person so that we grow in the Lord. Maybe you've heard that before. It will bring me closer to God if I go out with this person. Here's a quote from Brandon Anderson. It says, if Jesus isn't motivation enough to grow in maturity and pursue godliness, then you are not ready to pursue a woman. Uh, to pursue a woman. I can't talk, sorry. The truth is that when you're in a relationship, you get their crap on top of your crap. That's double crap. It's hard to start a healthy relationship when two immature people are drowning in crap. Men, get your life together first. Know where you're going and then invite a girl to come along. It's very masculine. Leads us to the next question. Who should I date? Hmm. Justin Bieber. No. Here's the the thing that you've probably heard uh, a lot. You have freedom... In Christianity, to date whoever you want, as long as you stick to biblical guidelines. It's not like the Church of Mormon. Church of Mormon says you're not allowed to date until you're 16, period. It's like in the Mormon book thing that they have. It's not like the Book of Mormon. It's like the pamphlet they have that like accompanies the Book of Mormon. It's like number one thing that you can't do. Don't date until you're 16. It's like part of the religion, so you can't do that. That's not what Christianity is all about. You have freedom within biblical guidelines. But what are those guidelines? Well, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What does that mean? So back in the day, you had these things that are called yokes. And you had oxen that carried the yokes. And basically what it's saying is don't be unequally yoked. Like one person's carrying one side of the yoke that's carrying these, this heavy stuff like water and stuff. And someone else is carrying the yoke and the other person's just like non-existent. And the other person's not carrying that yoke and carrying that burden with you. So when it says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it's saying don't be in a relationship where you're supposed to be one person with a person that doesn't even believe in God. Now, a lot of people that aren't Christian, that are my friends, always ask, could you date outside of your religion? I was like, well, no, couldn't. I mean, I, so there's some people that you could look at and you're like, all right, well, maybe that person's just, it just seems so perfect. It just seems like everything's working. But rationally, I, I always have to reject that because you know, how are you going to have anything in common with a person when my life is based on, my identity is hidden in God and they don't even believe in that? It's like, oh, yeah, you should pursue your dreams, although I don't believe that you should. You should pursue your dreams, but I don't even think that the God that you believe in exists. It's just hard to see how that would work. 2 Timothy verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, talks about how a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, follow their own desires, and will look for teachers that will tell them whatever they want to hear. Why is it that we always feel like it's someone else that hears that message? We always feel like we're the exception to the rule. It's like, oh, that's for someone else. Yeah, I know that I just talked about me there and that's the command, but yeah, but this is different because I know I could bring that person to God or I know this person that is in a relationship and, you know, they got married and they were dating when they weren't Christians. And we always feel like we're the exception to the rule. But think about Solomon, 
great king of Israel, what led him to his, his destruction? It was women that didn't believe in God. What about Samson? It was Delilah. Everyone knows these stories and we know the dangers. Alistair Begg said this one quote that always stuck with me. He says, to be unequally yoked means to be lacking true intimacy in anything that really matters. To be unequally yoked means to be lacking true intimacy in anything that really matters. So it's not just someone who claims to be a Christian either. I'm not saying that's your base criteria for dating someone. If you're a Christian here today, that you should just date someone that says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, I grew up in the church. But as in 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7 says, these people, certain people will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly and stay away people from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. There are some people that are wolves in the church. You know, the church is uh, a flock of sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. And there are wolves that seep into the church to take some of our precious women out. There's some people that want and seek and pretend to be Christian just so they can be in a relationship. Probably people like that in here right now. The only reason you come to youth group is so that you could hook up with someone here. It's true. It makes me mad. I've known people like that because I sat in those exact same seats, like those literal, those same exact plastic chairs when I was your age in high school. And I knew exactly what happened all the time. I think back when I was in high school, it was a little bit worse, and that might just be me being ignorant. But I know what goes on. And unfortunately, a lot of us still forget that Christ is the one who gives us value, and we're still looking to, give, uh, to get value from some other person. And that's just not right. We're always going to be looking and chasing after Whatever it is that we want to hear, we never want to hear the truth. And when the truth finally comes to us, when the possibility of happiness comes to us, we reject it because it's not what we expected. So that leads us to good guidelines for dating in terms of criteria. What are some good guidelines for dating? First, I'll start with ladies, then I'll get to the men, and then I'll stop boring you with what I think because I'm sure that you think I'm an idiot. Anyway. Good guidelines for dating. Number one, ladies, look for a spiritual leader that is committed to his relationship with Jesus. Look for a spiritual leader, not just someone that says, I'm a Christian, but someone that takes the lead, someone that takes the initiative, someone that says, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible. You know what, I'm going to memorize some verses. You know what, let's go and do this mission trip. You know what, let's go to this event. Let's go help people. Someone that takes initiative and shows that he is a man of God. I'm not saying someone that just puts on these outward things like, look for the person that raises his hands during worship, the holy man. Or the person that when he prays, he prays for a hedge of protection. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying superficial things. I'm saying the things that really matter. Like how does he treat his sister? Not the things when you're in youth group, when he's putting on this face, when he's pretending to be someone else. You know, we, whenever we're on a date, we're always putting our, our best foot forward. We always want to look good in other people's eyes. Except for random circumstances. I was on this one date, and uh, this was years ago. This one girl, uh, I picked her up from her house. This is the first time I was meeting her, too, picking her up from her house. She comes out. She's on the phone yelling, screaming, and cursing with her mom on the phone. I'm in the car sitting down, opens the door, and she's like, blah, 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 like yelling at the top of her lungs. This is my first impression of the girl. And she talks for five minutes, and I'm in the car awkwardly sitting there like, what am I going to do? It's so awkward that I'm like, well, I'm going to pretend to be on the phone. So I pick up the phone, and I'm like, hello. <laughs> and then... I get a text message and my phone rings. It's like beep. I'm like, oh, she knows it's a joke. And I put my phone back. The whole night it was awkward. But we did go, get to go to Toys R Us. So it was really fun. Fun for me. I'm not joking either. 
you know, one day I want my, one day I want my life to be just so ridiculous that everyone would be like, I don't believe anything that you say. They'd be like, yes. Be like that old crazy old man that has like schizophrenia or something. <laughs> anyway. Everyone has this face. Everyone puts on this facade when they're on a date. But you have to see how does that person treat their mom when they're at home? How does he speak to his family members? Is he a servant of the Lord? Is he the one that puts the chairs away at youth group? Is he the one that when we're on retreats, he's the one mopping the floor? He's the one cleaning things. He's the one asking if he can help. That's a man of God. That's a man that you should be looking for. Number two, second guideline I would say is honesty and integrity. Honesty and integrity. If he's willing to lie to cover up himself for other people and to other people, if he's willing to lie to his parents, to his friends, Who's to say he's not going to lie to you as well? If he's going to cheat on his test, he's going to cheat on you as well. Look for honesty and integrity. Thirdly, look, at, look for someone who can laugh at himself. Someone who doesn't take himself too seriously. Not some hothead that always talks about himself, always proud, always talks about muscling up, going to the gym and taking steroids. Probably want to stay away from those people. Just don't go to clubs. Stay away from them. Trust me. This is, Especially in your day and age, you're going to go to a club and there's like a 40-year-old man who's still like dressing like he's 25. It's bad. It's weird. Just, you know what? Don't date anyone from New Jersey. No. Find someone who can laugh at themselves, that doesn't take themselves too seriously, that can take a joke that is humble. Not someone that says, I'm humble, but someone who really... They show it. And number four, someone who is kind. We're going to learn about kindness eventually. <laughs> Not tonight. But someone who is kind. Someone who doesn't say mean things to other people. When I say that, I'm not just saying about teasing or being, you know, just joking around. Because I know I'm a terrible person. I need to work on that. But if he's mean to other people and you see that anger come out on other people, who's to say he's not going to take that exact same anger out on you? when you're over the honeymoon stage. So guidelines for men. Number one, beautiful. Number two, thin. Number three, smart. (laughs) 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 Oh boy. Now, obviously no one dates or looks for someone that they know is ugly. Like, oh, I look pretty bad, but uh, we'll make this work somehow. No one does that. So I'm not saying don't be attracted to the person. Don't look for attractive features. But what I am saying is Ecclesiastes 7 verse 26. One of my favorite verses. Write it down if you don't know it, men. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 26. I discovered that a seductive woman is more bitter than death. Her passion is a trap and her soft hands will bind you. Those who please God will escape from her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. Goes for you, for you ladies as well. His soft hands will bind you. <laughs> no. Looks are superficial. Looks are going to fade away someday. Don't look at what is enticing to the eyes. Don't look at just what looks good for a moment. But look at the deeper issues as well, which are, number one, again, a committed relationship with Jesus. Not just someone who says... I love Jesus, or I'm a Christian, I grew up Christian, but are they having a committed relationship with him where they spend daily in his word, where they're talking to him on a regular basis? Number two would be to have, as Alistair Begg says, beauty that is deeper than the skin. Find a girl that pays more attention or pays less attention to herself in the mirror because she's, she pays more attention in front of of Jesus. She pays less attention, you know, on herself and making herself look good and drawing attention to her body, more attention on the Word of God and in her Bible. And this means one that's not going to necessarily dress up like a prostitute on Halloween. So I know that's what happens every single year is like, how more revealing can we get on Halloween? And we, we do it with this, you know, air of innocence, like kids do it too, so I can dress up like a prostitute too. No, can't do that. It's not okay. It's really awkward. Like I, I purposely turn off my computer for a day on Halloween every year 
I don't really do that, but I, I just tell myself to do that every year because I keep forgetting. I'm like, oh, what's that on the screen? Every year. Do yourself a favor. Moderate yourself. Don't sell yourself cheap. Don't go out of your way to grab a guy's attention. 1 Peter 3, verse 3 through 5 says, Don't be concerned about the hour beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. So I know that you girls probably know that verse very well. And you're like, if, you're, if the only thing that you can do to grab a guy's attention is your looks, you're in trouble. Because the minute that he finds someone else that's hotter than you, he's going to leave you. And I have a newsflash for you once again. Beauty is common these days. It is. Anyone can make themselves look beautiful. Even through the lengths of plastic surgery. Which obviously doesn't work all the time. But people are beautiful in our day and age. And if all you're doing is competing beauty, you're lacking the inner qualities that makes a person really unique. So number three is someone that is motivated but also submissive. Someone who is motivated takes that same initiative but also submissive to you. As the leader of the house, you have to be the leader, that, the one that's taking initiative. You're the one who's going to the youth group. You're the one who's reading the Bible and encouraging one another. But look for someone that is also motivated for ministry as well. So you might think, well, that sounds impossible. It'd be great if I could find a guy or a girl like that. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you're settling for someone else because you're like, well, I don't see any, anyone like that around me right now. Well, remember, you only have to marry one. If you only find one in your years of life, that's okay because you only have to marry one person. So that leads us to the next point, which is what does a godly relationship look like? And we're almost done. This is the last one, so don't worry. What does a godly relationship look like? Well, dating brings expectations. And if you're a guy here today, you as a leader have to set a plan on where your boundaries are going to be. Set standards or you will fail. If you don't have a standard, you don't have a plan, you don't have boundaries, you don't make it clear what's going to happen, you're going to fail. Because the minute that your emotions are stronger than your mind, you're going to give it up. You're going to be intoxicated with that feeling inside of you. You're going to just say, well, did I really have any standards? And it's going to be too late by the minute that you want to act. So this begs the question as well, how far is too far? 2 Timothy 2.22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So then... The, the thing I'm trying to say right now is make sure that they value you, not your body. Not the physical things about you, but make sure they value you for who you are. Lust wants the best for yourself and love wants the best for others. Lust just wants more for yourself. What can I get from this person? Where love says, how can I bless this person? How can I love this person? Love says, how can I love this person? But you get it. If they're so physical with you early on in your relationship, who's to say that they're not going to move on as soon as they find out you're not as good as a kisser as someone else that they dated? How do you know they're not going to leave you if all you do is give up all the things and eventually you have nothing left for, for them to take from you so they just move on? That's why it goes back to that verse, treat older women as you would your mother, treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. That's the standard. Kevin DeYoung says, you wouldn't make out with a stranger. Well, some of you would, but that's besides the point. You wouldn't make out with your friend, but you would make out with someone you're dating. What's the difference? We have to treat younger women with purity, looking at them as Jesus loved them, and not taking advantage of people just because we have emotions and just because we have feelings. But some of you are afraid of becoming social rejects. Like at, at um, that series on TV, Virgin Diaries. Has anyone seen that? You don't have to raise your hand if it's a guilty pleasure or something. Some of you are afraid of being so awkward 
You know, that you don't know how to hold a girl's hand. You don't know how to, like, you know, kiss or I don't know. You guys have weird fears. You're in high school. I understand that. But 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 through 21 says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive ones are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. The question is, where do you want to be used the most? Things of the world or the things of God? God's got you covered. You don't have to worry about that. If you keep yourself pure for the Lord, I'm not giving you any legalistic things like you shouldn't hold hands or something lame and weird like that. I'm not saying that. But some of you have to seriously evaluate how you're looking at a relationship. Some of you are looking at the line and saying, how close can I get to the line? And others, you have to realize that the question isn't how close can I get, how far away from that line can I get? How much can I pursue God and, and run after him and the things he has planned for me? Just like Joseph, when, you know, everyone knows that story. Joseph was with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife was like, man, that guy is really good looking. And she wanted to, as the Bible says, know him biblically. Just, I'm not really sure what I can say in youth group, so just use code names, terms. So Potiphar's wife saw Joseph as pleasing to the eyes, and she wanted to go after him and said, Joseph, lie with me. And I just, I, sometimes you just don't want to believe things in the Bible, but apparently it's there, so you got to believe it. And Joseph's like, no, how could I do this great sin against the Lord? And she's like, no, lie with me. And Joseph's like, no. And then he runs. But naked, like she takes his clothes, still holding on to the clothes. Just like, no! I'm not saying that you should keep your clothes on, please. <laughs> Remember, if I'm fired after this, just listen to previous messages so we're left on a good note. What I am saying is that's how... The Bible describes flee youthful lust. Run away. Don't even think about it. Say, this is a dangerous situation. I'm getting too close to the line. I have to get out of here. So, in summary, number one, things that a godly relationship should resemble. Number one is a godly relationship will be patient because love is patient, which means it's not going to rush means you're not going to be in a hurry to get married. You're not going to be in a hurry to get in a relationship, although you might already be in one just by your semantics. Beware of going too deep too fast. Beware of doing things all at once, sharing all these secrets that no one else knows about you. Maybe you haven't told anyone these things, but you just, everything feels right, so you need to tell this person that you've just met. Beware of that because as soon as you give those things away, it might be a, a sign that you're willing to give other things away. You're giving in all this investment to a person you just met who you're not even sure if you want to be with. Be careful of that investment. Because as soon as that person breaks up with you or stops talking to you, you say, well, I just told them all these things. Will they use it against me? Will they gossip against me? How will this affect our relationship with everyone else? Be careful of going too deep too fast. Number two, a godly relationship will not isolate you from the rest of the body of Christ. And a lot of you guys are lame enough to do that. And I say that because I know a lot of my friends, you know, they get in a relationship, they get a girlfriend, and all of a sudden, you, that's it. Don't see him ever again. A godly relationship will not isolate you from the rest of the body of Christ because you're meant to minister to the rest of the body of Christ. If you're only focused on yourselves, you're probably not focused on God. You're not focused on others. Number three, a godly relationship will not push you farther away from ministry. It will only put you, push you towards ministry. It might not be right away, but you'll be asking yourself, how can we minister? How can we love God? Number four, a godly relationship will put Jesus at the forefront. I'm not saying you always have to talk about Jesus. Like you time your conversations. You're like, oh, it's time to talk about Jesus. It's time for Bible study. Not saying that. I'm saying in all things, give the glory to God. Matthew 10 37 says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So in conclusion, does your relationship, would a relationship push you closer or farther from Jesus? That's the end all. Does your relationship, think about it, think of the person you like right now. Does that relationship push you closer to 
or farther away from Jesus. You might be saying, well, how the heck do I know that? I don't know that. I'll give you a, a, a litmus test. Ready? Does the second coming of Jesus excite you or worry you? Because you've probably prayed that prayer before. Lord, can you at least wait to come back until I get married? Maybe you've thought it before. You just don't want the rapture to happen until you get married. If, if that's your wish, and I'm not saying that's totally evil. I understand that. I prayed that many times. What I'm saying is your love for Christ and the things that are in him should be far greater than the things of this world have to offer. Because there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Jesus says they'll never be given in marriage in heaven. So marriage ends here. It's a reflection of Jesus and his church. If I just shocked you because you never heard that before, we'll talk later. The end of the story is that God chose you to be his masterpiece. God chose you to be his workmanship, to display his glory. And if you remember Psalm 84 verse 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So God has everything that you could possibly need in this life. You don't have to look to a relationship for those things. You have to do other things. But if you do want a date, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You can do it. That's fine. Go do it. If you find someone that you really enjoy, that's a great thing. Don't be worried about those things. Don't be worried about what other people are going to think. Go date that person. But know what your boundaries are. Know where you're going. And if it's not having marriage in mind, not saying that you have to think, oh, am I going to get married in 2014? No, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying have an idea of where you're going. Ask the Lord, does this honor you? And realize that you're probably already dating someone right now. You're just Christian dating. Have this Christian association of dating. Don't, we, don't be weird. Please, just stop making it a big deal. It just hurts my brain when people make things into such a big deal when it doesn't have to be. And it's the same thing with guys too when guys are like, I don't know. We guys have it hard, I think. Maybe I just have it hard. No, I don't. But um, I don't know. Take a chance. You never know what can happen, right? I have so many good stories. I don't want to share any of them. Uh, no. There's some times that you just, you, you can't, you can't do it. Okay. We should pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we want your direction on certain things and we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in whatever we do, whoever we marry, we know that you have a plan for us and we want to follow in that plan because we know it's in that plan that we find true happiness and true joy, true meaning, true purpose. And Lord, there's a lot of people stressing out over things that aren't really that big of a deal, but it might seem like a big deal to them. So I pray that you comfort them with that peace that surpasses all understanding. You guard their hearts and their minds in you. Lord, that you would bring us into such a love for you that we won't need anyone else. But if we choose to be in a relationship, we pray they would only glorify you even more. So we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We pray that you would go before the rest of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.